I already mentioned Triangle of Sadness, and then Women Talking, which I'm happy to see get nominated because I thought it was going to get completely shut out, but it did not. It only garnered two nominations, Best Picture and Adapted Screenplay. The last time I can think of a movie that only got two nominations and got a Best Picture, um, uh, get into the Best Picture race was the Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man, where it got picture and an original screenplay nomination. And Women Talking did the exact same thing. But I encourage you all to check out Women Talking. It has a great ensemble, mostly uh, made up of women. And like the movie says, it's about women talking um, because it's about a group of Mennonite women on trying to figure out whether or not they want to leave the community because uh, they have been abused by the men in the community. And they, they're they given at least a couple days to figure out what they can do, whether they can fight, stay, or leave in that regard. And it, it kind of plays out like uh, kind of like 12 Angry Men because they mostly talk around uh, in the barn for like meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, Ben Wishaw here who's like counting the minutes and everything. And so, yeah, check out Women Talking if you haven't already. So, yeah. So those are my thoughts on the Best Picture nominees. Uh, so the last thing I'm going to do is to give you all a full tally and some little, uh, stats, if you want to call it that. And, uh, and then afterwards we'll probably end this episode. Hello everyone. And welcome to film, etc. The only movie review podcast you need in life. My name is Mike Webb. I'll be your host. And it is that time of year, ladies and gentlemen, on this very special episode, we are going to talk about the 2023 Oscar nominations. It's one of those mornings where it's kind of like Christmas morning, where you're like a kid and you are just like anxiously waiting to like unwrap what your Christmas presents are. And that's the feeling I get for like most film lovers, at least. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with the Academy overall, but I can't wait to tell you about the nominations. Let's find out and see what movie uh, has like the most uh, categories out of all of them what movies got like a surprise nomination which ones got completely shut out let's find out on this very special episode and if you guys are new to the show i welcome you all normally i review a, a single movie per episode and grade it on a number scale from zero to ten but that is not the case but anyway guys enough chit chat let's get to the nominations Now, to give you guys a little bit of a heads up for those of you who are new to the show or basically need a little bit of refresher, I am diagnosed with autism, so I'm not great with like conversing with like other people in general. So you may hear my wording sound a bit off or something like that. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for listening. Now, for those of you who are new and want to know what the Academy Awards are, it's an awards show organized by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It was established by Louis B. Mayer in the 1920s, who's one of the founding members of MGM, where the purpose of creating the award was to unite all the branches in the film industry and, and reward them with the highest degree of excellence in cinematic achievement. The award, nicknamed the Oscar, is perhaps by many to be the most significant award, not just for film, but in the entire entertainment industry. 
The inaugural ceremony in 1929 was held at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, where 270 people attended for a private dinner with the actual ceremony only lasting a mere 15 minutes. What's odd is that there were actually two Best Picture categories in its inaugural year, with Outstanding Picture going to the silent World War I epic Wings and the unique and artistic picture going to Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. Both of those movies have now entered the public domain this year if you want to check those movies out. Later Best Picture winners would include the 1930 adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front, as well as many others like You Can't Take It With You, The Best Years of Our Lives, The Bridge on the River Kwai, The Sound of Music, Rocky, Platoon, Schindler's List, The Departed, 12 Years a Slave, and Coda, which became the first film from a streaming service to win Best Picture. The Academy is made up of members around the world who are currently active in the film industry. They are divided into individual branches focused on a specific category. So like actors nominate actors, directors nominate directors, you get you get it, and so forth and so forth. However, all members of the Academy get to vote on the most coveted category of them all, Best Picture. And as of today, more than 10,000 members in over 80 countries have participated in this year's nominations, with some news outlets reporting it as a record voter turnout in Oscar history. So before I break down all the nominations, typically I don't talk about the short film categories, mostly because nobody's even interested in talking about them. But I do want to highlight one short film that did get nominated in the live action short category, and that is Les Pupilles, which takes place in this Italian Catholic girls school during Christmas time. They're like children misbehaving and all that stuff. It's a delightful little gem. And there's a red cake in this movie that just looks scrumptious. It's only 37 minutes long. It's available to watch on Disney+. Plus. It's produced by multiple Oscar-winning filmmaker Alfonso Cuaron, directed by a female filmmaker named Alicia Bobaquer, whose last feature was Happy as Lazaro, a film I thoroughly enjoyed. And that film is streaming on Netflix. That film is... This dreamlike fantasy about a simple-minded teenage boy living on a beautiful Italian farm, but then halfway through the movie, it changes, and all of a sudden, it becomes something bleak and dour. Deliberately slow-paced, but it's incredible. But do check out Le Pupile on Disney+, Plus and make sure you watch it in its original Italian language track, and not uh, the defaulted English dub on your settings. But anyway, guys, now let's go through the rest of the nominations one by one, starting with visual effects. The nominees for achievement in visual effects are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. Now, I do want to point out something to you that in December, the Oscars uh, gather a couple categories and present a short list of like 10 to 15 films that are like gathered in like each specific category. And the visual effects category is one of them. Now, this is a very interesting crop of nominees, I will say. I'm a little surprised to see Black Panther Wakanda forever make the cut because the first film... Uh, did not get a visual effects nomination, mostly because I think that was the film's weakest element. And I haven't seen Black Panther again, but I will. I haven't seen the sequel, I should point out, but I will watch it again at some point. Yeah. Also surprising to see the Batman and Top Gun Maverick. You, you might think, and All Quiet on the Western Front as well, you might think of like how like many like visual effects it has. They, they have like guaranteed. Now, granted, a, a war movie like Night 
a war movie like All Quiet on the Western Front should come as no surprise as like 1917 won in that category years or uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, this is Avatars to lose. No other movie is going to beat it. The other uh, films that were shortlisted were Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, Fantastic Beasts and Secrets of Dumbledore, Jurassic World Dominion, Nope, and 13 Lives. Although if I were to pick, I, I would love to see Jordan Peele's Nope. And one movie that did not make the short list was Everything Everywhere All at Once, given the fact that like less than 10 people worked on the visual effects, which is completely baffling when you when you look at it in general. But yeah, again, this is Avatar Salutes. This is an easy lock for visual effects, an easy win, I will say. So yeah, that's it for my thoughts on visual effects. And now let's get to the nominees for best sound. The nominees for achievement in sound are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Elvis, and Top Gun Maverick. Now, the category of sound is another one that has a shortlist category. Um, but yeah, nothing too surprising right there. The other uh, films that were shortlisted were Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary. But yeah, I, yeah, it makes sense for like the Batman and All Quiet on Lesson Front and Avatar and Top Gun Maverick. Elvis, I will say like there were movies like Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody that got in uh, the category of best sound. If In case you didn't know, back in the day, um, or at least when I was growing up, the sound category was actually split into two categories, best sound mixing and best sound editing. But because people couldn't really tell the difference between both of those, they just combined it into one sound category uh, for the 2021 ceremony. So yeah, one of the few omissions I will say that uh, did not get on the short list is tar because I think the sound design plays a huge role in that because Kate Blanchett's character has this like really good ear for sound and the way it just plays out is just incredible. Also, Jordan Peele's Nope uh, was not shortlisted for sound, so I would nominate that as well. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going to win here. It could be all quiet, but I but I could definitely have a sense that Top Gun could take this category. So yeah. So yeah, those are my thoughts on sound. And now let's get to the nominees for original song. The nominees for best achievement in music original song are Applause from Tell It Like a Woman. Music and lyrics by Diane Warren. Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. Music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Music by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler, and Ludwig Göransson. Lyrics by Thames and Ryan Coogler. Natu Natu from RRR. Music by M.M. Kiravani. Lyrics by Chandrabose. This is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski. Lyrics by Ryan Lott and David Byrne. So apparently Diane Warren is now legally obligated to get nominated. She won an honorary Oscar earlier, like late last year at the Governor's Awards, and she had like a nice little thank you speech, and she ended with, 
I've been meaning to say these words for a very long time. I'd like to thank the Academy. That does not help get her another nomination. Oh, man. I I mean, I don't know. Di- Diane Warren has an honorary Oscar. I don't think we need to like keep rewarding her with nominations when we know she's not going to win again. In fact, it's for... It's the second year in a row where it's for a song from a movie no one's even heard about. Although I will say it does have Jennifer Hudson in it, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to check it out. So yeah, anyway, that's my little rant spiel. If you want to call out that on Diane Warren, that just keeps getting nominated. But anyway, yeah, original song is another short list uh, category, but this time there were 15 uh, uh nominees in that category well shortlist nominees i will say the ones that didn't make it were carolina from where the crawdads sing that's the taylor swift song chow papa from guillermo del toro's pinocchio that one is a kind of sad because guillermo del toro actually wrote uh like the lyrics to it i will say and had he been nominated uh he would have like tied with like kenneth Branagh's record for like uh, nominated in like seven different categories, I will say. The other one, uh, anyway, the other ones are like Dust and Ash from The Voice of Dust and Ash. I don't know what that movie is. Good Afternoon from Spirited, which I will say is the whole highlight of the whole movie because that song is funny. That's like the best bit in an otherwise meh movie overall. But anyway, the others were My Mind and Me from Selena Gomez, My Mind and Me, which is a documentary on Apple TV Plus. New Body Rumba from White Noise from LCD Sound System. Boy, that one is a banger. That plays around like the end credits of White Noise. Nothing is Lost, You Give Me Strength from Avatar The Way of Water. That's the weekend song produced by Swedish House Mafia. Stand Up from Till. Till Your Home from A Man Called Otto. That's uh, Rita Wilson, I want to say. And then Time from Amsterdam. So yeah, one song that did not make it into the shortlist. And this one kind of hurts me because when I think of songs nowadays that like are in a movie, it usually plays in like the opening credits or like the end credits just to at least get qualified. But some don't like have like a song that becomes like well, a rare few, I will say, that there's a specific song that plays a vital part throughout the movie. And one of those is the song from Turning Red, performed by the fictional boy band Four Town called Nobody Like You. And that song alone plays a vital part towards like the film's climax, I want to say. And it's amazing. But some people will say, well, it's Billie Eilish who wrote it. She won last year. I don't care. She made a wonderful song with her brother Phineas, and I think it should have been nominated. But alas, it did not. So, shame on you. As for the stuff that did get nominated outside of Diane Warren, you have the Lady Gaga song from Top Gun Maverick. You have the Rihanna song from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. You have the sensation Natu Natu from the Tollywood film RRR, which is probably your odds-on favorite to win at this point. And then you have This Is A Life from Everything Everywhere All At Once, which is a nice surprise. It's performed by Sunlux, Mitski, and David Byrne of Talking Heads fame. And that one plays like during the closing credits. You, you know, my little ramble about like uh, opening and closing credits. I'll give that one a, a pass, I will say. And I was kind of surprised because I did predict it. I did have I did post the predictions on what was going to get nominated on my Twitter and Instagram 
accounts if you want to check those out. And I was thinking that would be like the one little outlier here. So yeah, I'm very excited to see This Is A Life on there. And yeah, again, this is RRR's to lose. Gaga's already won before First Star Is Born. So yeah, and Rihanna's performing at the Super Bowl halftime show this year, but I don't know if if that clout alone is going to like push her to like win her an Oscar. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the original song category. And now let's get to the nominees for best original score. The nominees for best achievement in music original score are Volker Bertelmann for All Quiet on the Western Front, Justin Hurwitz for Babylon, Carter Burwell for The Banshees of Inishirin, Sun Lux for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and John Williams for The Fablemans. All right, so original score. So apparently John Williams is also obligated to keep nominated. By the way, he is has broken his own record as uh, the most nominations for a living person. This is his 53rd Oscar nomination. He also broke a record for being the oldest uh, competitive Oscar nominee, beating Anya Svarta's record uh, from a few years back. Anya Svarta was nominated for the documentary Faces Places. She was a prolific uh, uh, French director in the French New Wave. Yeah, but let's get back to original score. Um, so yeah, another one that had a short list full with uh, 15 nominees, the, the ones that didn't make it in were Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Devotion, Don't Worry Darling, which is kind of baffling, given the fact that I was not a fan of that movie. At least the score was just okay. Uh, Glassing and a Nice Out Mystery, I would have liked to see on there. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Alexander Desplat is uh, zero for two in the past two years. He did not get nominated for French Dispatch last year. That man could not catch a break. Nope. The Michael Abel score is nice. I was not a fan of the She Said score by Nicholas Bertel. Woman King was kind of baffling that it didn't make it. And neither was Women Talking, the Hilder Gunadotir score, um, which I will say is a better score than Joker. Uh, the score that she won for a few years ago. But yeah, I don't know what to pick on who's going to win. Oh, omissions. I, of course, people are going to say Michael Giacchino's score for the Batman's not there. And they were cowards for not putting it on there. Like, not since Jaws have we had another memorable uh, two notes that can just like uh, feel like, like, like a sense of dread and tension like going on. But yeah, the Batman is pretty shocking. I like the turning red score where it has like that new Jack city type of vibe. I like that. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to win. I mean, the all quiet on the Western front score is like, bah, bah, bah. if I ruined your ears, I apologize. The Babylon score is also frenetic. Um, I don't remember the score for Banshees of Inisherin or Fablemans. I mean, Fablemans, from what I've heard, it's like different from what John Williams like usually does or something like that. Everything Everywhere score, it's it's kind of neat as well, although it's done by like three people. But yeah, I don't know what to pick in the meantime on like who's going to win. Maybe All Quiet. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, guys, let's move on to the next category, which is makeup and hairstyling. 
For achievement in makeup and hairstyling, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Elvis, and The Whale. So the makeup and hairstyling category uh, used to be, uh, for when I was growing up, it used to be only three nominees, but now they've expanded it to five uh, since the 2020 ceremony. And uh, for the shortlist, back then they were like only like have like seven or eight uh, shortlist nominees. Now it's up to 10. The ones that didn't make it were Amsterdam, Babylon, both films starring Margot Robbie. You have Blonde, not a fan of that movie. Crimes of the Future, the David Cronenberg movie, a return to body horror for him. I mean, his remake of The Fly did win uh, Best Makeup that year. I can't remember if another Cronenberg film uh, was nominated for makeup. I'll have to check and see. And Emancipation, the Will Smith uh uh, slavery movie that's on apple tv plus which i've heard mixed things i think will smith's career has basically just like hit rock bottom ever since he slapped chris rock at last year's ceremony oh man uh i don't know about like omissions and like makeup oh the woman king didn't make it into uh the shortlist which i was a little surprised by because if i were the academy i would have easily nominate the woman king in makeup and hair styling so yeah, maybe Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, maybe Corsage, but yeah, uh, for what did get nominated, All Quiet makes sense, given the fact that 1917 also was nominated in makeup, it, but All Quiet, I think the makeup is like significant because the lead character goes through like a lot of like mud and dirt, and you, you could definitely see that. The Batman makes sense because Colin Farrell uh, wearing prosthetics, playing the Penguin, Black Panther Wakanda Forever makes sense as well um, because of the hairstyles of like the the Wakandans and the 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 people of Talakan and all that jazz. And uh, Elvis, Tom Hanks in a fat suit, the whale, Brendan Fraser in a big latex fat suit makes no surprise. So, yeah. Oh, and of course, on on Elvis, you can't forget uh, designing Elvis with the wig and everything and the fat suit at the end. A lot of fat suits in this category. I'm I'm baffled by it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what wins makeup and hairstyling? Probably Elvis or the whale, even though I'm not big fans of those movies. But uh, we'll see about that uh, come uh, ceremony time. Yeah, those are my thoughts on makeup and hairstyling. And now let's get to my uh, let's get to the nominees on best costume design. For achievement and costume design, the nominees are Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. So the costume design category does not have a short list. And I failed to mention this right off the bat, but the short lists are mostly made up of like mostly below the line categories, like in the crafts work. But costume design is not one of them. And neither is film editing, cinematography or production design, which we'll get to eventually. But um, yeah, costume design. Uh, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. I will say uh, nice to see Babylon, um, a movie I did not it has its moments but ultimately did not care for it's just a ripoff of singing in the rain but more uh excess and uh yeah it, uh it, yeah anyway babylon's there black panther no surprise because the first film did win best costumes 
uh, for Ruthie Carter when it came out uh, back in 2018. Um, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which I'm very happy to see. It's all about the Christian Dior dresses and how they shimmer and sparkle and shine and they gleam and all that. That is a very delightful movie if you haven't checked that out with uh, Leslie Manville and Isabelle Huppert. Lovely movie. Um, uh, Elvis, no surprise. The costumes just like stand out. It's uh, Baz Luhrmann's wife, Catherine Martin, who actually has three no- nominations this year. And uh, I'll get to uh, the rest of the categories in just a second on what she's nominated for. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once is probably is is probably perhaps the uh, outlier here because a lot of people were expecting the woman king to get nominated or at least that's what it was expected on the website gold derby but costume design was the second category presented uh live when the nominations were uh presented by riz ahmed and allison williams and when everything everywhere came up in the costume design category like i had a hunch uh knowing that everything everywhere was going to overperform at the nominations announcement and I'm happy to see it there. As for like omissions, I'm a little sad that Corsage didn't make it. Uh, I, even though I'm not a fan of the next two movies, I will say I, I did like the costumes in both Don't Worry Darling and Amsterdam. But uh, yeah, anyway, those are my thoughts on the costume design nominations. And now let's get to the nominees for best film editing. The nominees for Achievement in Film Editing are The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Now for the longest time, Oscar prognosticators, predictors, and pundits always say that if you get nominated in the category of Best Film Editing, you're guaranteed a slot in Best Picture. Now, I don't know if that was the case for the the 2018 ceremony for films released in 2017, because you did have two movies, Baby Driver and I, Tanya, that did not get into Best Picture, but did get into Best Editing. The same could be said when Star Wars The Force Awakens was nominated for editing, but didn't get a Best Picture nomination. So I don't know if I like wholly agree with that statement, but I can see why. And then you have the 2018 category, which is probably ridiculous. I mean, Vice kind of makes sense, given that Adam McKay's like style and uh, his editor, Hank Corwin, his editing just like is just like super frenetic and also like in your face. And then you have movies like Bohemian Rhapsody with which won that year. It's like, oh, my goodness, that movie is horribly edited outside of the live aid sequence uh, that like whole lunch meeting with uh uh aiden gillen's character i know he's a real life person but i uh forgot his name but that whole scene alone is just like horrible cut cut to cut to cut uh yeah if you if you guys know what i'm talking about then you'll see why and then green book which did win best picture that year also got into editing and it was like we were kind of like doomed from the start that it was probably going to win and they like did not nominate roma or stars born or first man in that category so yeah, I'm a little upset. But anywho, let's uh, let me talk to you about the nominees. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm happy to see here that that is a good type of frenetic editing. And then on the op- opposite end, Elvis. That is like the Adam McKay of like film editing, just like in your face editing, just like cut, 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 and just like wipes and transitions and like uh, close ups, and it's just like super stylistic and so like 
it's like if you're just like i don't know like um uh, having like a anxiety attack or something like that i don't know i'm happy to see target in as well top gun maverick makes sense given the fact that the original movie was also nominated in editing when it came out back in 1986 and then the banshees of Venice sharon which is a little bit of a surprise i will say but given the fact that the film's editor michael eg nielsen did win two years ago in the in this category for sound of metal so yeah, nothing too surprising here. I would have liked to see Triangle of Sadness get in for editing because Usland edited the film himself with uh, another editor. Some other notable omissions, people were thinking The Fablemans was probably going to get nominated, All Quiet on the Western Front, maybe Avatar. So yeah. Oh, I did like the editing in Women Talking as well. So yeah. But yeah, anyway, those are those are my thoughts on film editing. And now let's get to the nominees for Best Cinematography. And oh boy, this one's going to be a doozy. The nominees for Achievement in Cinematography are All Quiet on the Western Front, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Elvis, Empire of Light, and tar so as far as what i was predicting i did not do so great in this category uh i only got two out of the five correct which were all quiet on the western front and empire light the rest i was a little bit befuddled i will say the other ones were bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths which i will say it is really good looking darius kanji shot it but I'm not a fan of the movie in general because it's basically Inyari 2 going full on Fellini, full on eight and a half, I should say, where it's kind of like being like this, like self-indulgent uh, piece of like, uh, what is this uh, character like going through in the stage? And there's all this like little, like weird and whimsical fantasies that just don't make a whole lot of sense. And you're just like trying to figure out what is going on like why is there a baby but then decides they wants to go back into the mother's womb like what is this movie like uh i don't know i mean empire of light very good looking it's roger deakins love roger deakins unfortunately this will be his first time since uh when was his last oscar nomination i think it was for uh sicario yeah uh, since 2015 that he will have his first loss in the Oscars granted Empire Light yeah like I mentioned Empire Light is a beautiful looking movie it's just the story elements are, they're just like I don't know contrived and forced and just like just just offers like too much going on uh, and it just like focuses away of like what the what the main it just takes away what the main focus of the movie was trying to be so yeah Elvis it's very glossy and super stylish. Granted, it is a woman cinematographer, Mandy Walker. Uh, she's the third woman ever to be nominated for cinematography after Rachel Morrison for Mudbound and just last year, Ari Wagner for Power of the Dog. Um, and Tar, which I'm completely surprised that Tar got a cinematography nomination. I love the cinematography in this. Florian Hoffmeister is the cinematographer. But there are some big notable omissions. More specifically, one that was winning everywhere, and that is Top Gun Maverick. Claudio Miranda did not get in. Uh, it was winning everywhere. It won the Critics' Choice. It won the New York Film Critics Circle for Cinematography. It got nominated for a BAFTA. It got nominated for the American Society of Cinematographers Award. 
for cinematography. And then the Oscars like, oh, it's too mainstream. There's nothing like super stylish or fancy about fighter pilots. Do you know how hard the work goes into that? They have to like find like the time to like uh, have the sun um, reflect on their face. It has to be like a certain time of day so that uh, you don't see like any shadows of like the camera or something like that. It It's very tricky to pull off. But yeah, Top Gun Maverick, perhaps the biggest omission. Uh, uh, the Fablemans is not there. Avatar The Way of Water is not there. The Batman, which I would have loved to see. But granted, given the fact that Greg Frazier just won last year for Dune. So yeah, anyway, th this category was like completely uh, frenetic. I would have loved to nominate Decision to Leave. I failed to nominate Decision to Leave in editing. That has like some of the best editing I've seen all year in terms of like, um, yeah, I failed to mention it uh, in terms of like, uh, how it's cut, the way it like uses transitions and everything. Love decision to leave. I wanted to see decision to leave in editing and cinematography here because that is just amazing. EO would have been cool in cinematography. Um, a bunch of other movies I would say say in cinematography. Triangle of Sadness as well. Um, maybe after Yang. I I would have loved to see after Yang in cinematography. There's there's just so much better nominees than like freaking elvis and empire light and bardo my goodness but anyway those are my thoughts on cinematography and now let's get to the nominees for best uh production design the nominees for achievement in production design are all quiet on the western front avatar the way of water babylon elvis and the Fablemans. I keep forgetting to mention that All Quiet on the Western Front has been showing up in all these categories. Like ever since the BAFTA nominations came out like a week ago, it's been like having this like late surge. But we'll get more into All Quiet on the Western Front as soon as we get into like the bigger categories. But yeah, let's move to uh, production design uh, and what got nominated. Uh, no surprise for Babylon and Elvis and the Fablemans there. Avatar The Way of Water kind of makes sense because the original movie did win production design. And uh, it used to be called Best Art Direction. And uh, it wasn't until the 2013 ceremony where they changed it to Best Production Design. And so, yeah. Um, and and like I mentioned, All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, given the fact that previous World War One movies like War Horse and 1917 were nominated in that category, kind of makes no difference there. Yeah, nothing too much to say. As far as like omissions go, some people were thinking Everything Everywhere All at Once is, was probably going to get nominated. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, given the fact that the first film won in that category. Um, the production designer Hannah Beachler not only became the first uh, black woman to be nominated, but also, won but also win that year, which is impressive. Uh, I would also argue The Woman King should have been nominated. Uh, the Batman should have been nominated for production design. So yeah, uh, nothing uh, much to say on like who's going to win. Probably Babylon. I, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I failed to mention who was also going to win in the cinematography category, given the fact that Top Gun Maverick was not there. Maybe All Quiet on the Western Front. Maybe Tar. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but sorry for that little tangent. But Anyway, that's it for the below-the-line technical craft categories. Now let's move up to the above-the-line categories, starting with Best Documentary Feature. 
For Best Documentary Feature Film, the nominees are All That Breeds, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Fire of Love, A House Made of Splinters, and Navalny. All right, we're back with the shortlist for the Best Documentary Feature category, but I want to talk about uh, what got nominated first. Uh as far as, as what I was predicting, I got four out of five in that category, but I've only seen two of the nominees, Fire of Love and Navalny, both from Sundance. Fire of Love is this beautiful uh, archival footage documentary about a volcanologist couple named Katya and Maurice Kraft. All that they wanted to do was just explore, volcano, explore volcanoes and just study them. That's like their passion. And what they do and it could be sometimes funny but also harrowing you're just like worried it's like oh it's gonna happen but unfortunately uh they just love doing their job so much that it actually killed them sorry to spoil but it's history people but if you want to watch the amazing archival footage of that it is now streaming on disney plus and then navalny it feels like a like real like tight white knuckle like political thriller about this like russian lawyer who opposes putin's laws and everything in fact this movie was just like kept as like a secret just like a couple days before its premiere at sundance and oh boy this movie was just like it was i was just like edge of my seat from like beginning to end and uh unfortunately navalny is currently uh in prison at the moment this movie came this movie premiered at sundance real shortly before Russian declared war on Ukraine. So a movie like that cannot be relevant to this day. And speaking about Russians and Ukraine, uh, I want to talk about one of the nominees in that category uh, that I didn't even know about until researching it called A House Made of Splinters. And it's about impoverished people and children living in Ukraine, trying to find a home, something like that. Uh, another movie that premiered at Sundance. There are four movies in this category that premiered at Sundance. The same could be said with All That Breeze, which is about um, uh, people in India taking care of birds, I want to say. I I know. It, it did. I, I was kind of tempted into watching it when uh, it premiered at Sundance last year, but uh, I didn't bother watching it. And then the fifth nominee, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Laura Poitras um, uh, returning to the documentary uh, field after winning an Oscar for uh, uh, Citizen Four, the movie about Edward Snowden. And I wanted to see this movie so bad, but the week it was playing at my local indie art house theater, I was on my Christmas vacation with extended family. And when it came back, it was already gone. And I was so bummed out that I missed out on seeing it on the big screen. So I hopefully it'll come out to uh, VOD or streaming sometime soon because I do want to check it out. It's about Nan Golden and uh, her fight against uh, the Sackler family uh, who are basically responsible for the opioid epidemic. I can't wait to check it out. And now let's talk about uh, the documentaries that were shortlisted but ultimately missed the cut. Bad Axe, which I've not heard about. Children of the Mist, which I've not heard about. Descendant, which I saw at Sundance. That is an amazing documentary uh, that I saw at Sundance. It's on Netflix if you want to check it out. It's about this like uh, people in this like community of town uh, who are like the ancestors of like uh, the last slave ship vessel in like Alabama, and like like this was like like probably like a decade or two after like slavery was like completely abolished. But yeah, check out Descendant if you want to check it out. Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey of Song, which is a, the Leonard Cohen documentary. Hidden Letters, Know Nothing About. 
the Janes, which is about abortion rights and everything. Last Flight Home, I've heard it's from MTV Documentary Films. Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary. That movie was like a theatrical experience. It plays out more like an experimental documentary rather than just a straightforward documentary. Like if you want to know like a lot about like David Bowie's career and life and everything, this is probably not the documentary. It's more like a, a laser light show, if you would like to call it that. But it's a fun movie, I will say. And I had a wonderful experience about it. Retrograde, which is from director Matthew Heineman, who directed documentaries like Cartel Land, City of Ghosts, and uh, probably one or two others. Oh, The First Wave, about the uh, the first wave of the COVID pandemic, which was really, really good. And then The Territory, which I've heard very fascinating things about. It's like executive produced by Darren Aronofsky, produced by National Geographic. So yeah. As far as omissions go, I am deeply upset that the documentary Three Minutes a Lengthening, which is my favorite documentary of the year, didn't even get nominated. It's a quick 69-minute um, documentary about a three-minute home movie uh, around like the late 1930s Poland, just shortly before like the Nazis just like took over and destroyed everything. But it just like winds back on like, like the little details of like what the three minutes, like, um, like detailed and everything like on like who's who just like this, this like little interesting, like nostalgia piece and just like the film in general. And it, and it's in color as well, which it, you don't like typically see. And uh, you also get to like find out like the little details on like, what's the name of the Polish store that is just like kind of hard to like, uh, recognize the name because the film is just like so grainy and everything that it's just uh it, it's just uh i don't know just like very it they're just like trying to at least find something at least salvageable and there's a wonderful narration by helena bottom carter if you want to check it out three minutes of lengthening i highly recommend that probably the biggest omission in the documentary category was uh goodnight oppie which is one of the bigger titles for the documentary which is about the the mars rover uh named opportunity that has been roaming around mars for like 15 years which is kind of surprising i want to say narrated by angela bassett um amazon was campaigning this movie to bits it won the critics choice for documentary but it ultimately didn't end up anywhere else uh in terms of the major industry awards um yeah there's also uh movies like wildcat that didn't get in uh, the Gabby Giffords documentary, the Sinead O'Connor documentary, the um, uh, Sydney, which is about Sidney Poitier, uh, Senior, the Robert Downey Sr. documentary produced by Robert Downey Jr. didn't make the cut. I'm completely surprised by this. I'm, I would also say that I like the documentary Second Chance, which is about the guy who invented the bulletproof vest directed by Ramin Barani. That's a fun watch. So yeah, nothing too surprising uh, although I did predict four out of five in the documentary category, so I should be proud of myself. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the documentary feature category. I still need to see all the beauty in the bloodshed. So let's move on to the next category, which is best animated feature. For best animated feature film, the nominees are Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. 
So the animated feature film category, it's another one of those cases where I was predicting four out of the five, basically the top four. And the fifth slot was was a very mystery, like uh, uh, one animated movie that just like surprises out of the blue or something like that. Was it going to be something like Wendell or Wendell and Wild or something like uh, the bad guys or the Phil Tippett movie, Mad God or or all of ten and a half, the Richard Linklater rotoscope animated movie? Or was it going to be like uh, Disney or Pixar taking revenge and add Lightyear or Strange World to it? Or was it going to be the freaking Minions getting nominated? It was none of those. It was actually another Netflix animated movie called The Sea Beast, which I'm completely surprised by. It's directed by Disney veteran animator Chris Williams, who's was who previously won in this category for Big Hero Six. And he also directed Bolt. Uh, it The Sea Beast is a good movie, although the story it's basically Pirates of the Caribbean mixed with How to Train Your Dragon. So yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the story. It's also pretty long as well. It's like almost two hours. So yeah, but the other top four, I, we were all expecting it. Like Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. This was the only nomination Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio got, which I'm extremely bummed about. It could have seen a score nomination. It could have seen a song nomination. Oh, I failed to mention it could have gotten a production design nomination, which is a first for an, a stop motion animated film. And uh, Guillermo del Toro has been championing this movie all around the award circuit, saying that animation is not a genre for kids. It is a medium. I agree. I also think animation is cinema because you there have been animated movies nominated for Best Picture. Why are you not uh, allowing that? I would have loved to see Turning Red uh, get a Best Picture nomination because even though it was like a Disney Plus release, it'll at least uh, give Disney an attempt to like rethink their strategy on like what gets put out on Disney Plus and what gets put out in theaters. It had Turning Red uh, get a Best Picture nomination, they would have like rethink their strategy immediately. And they just like, yeah, we were dumb to release it on Disney Plus. Now, granted, I kind of don't fault them for it because uh, they announced that it would only be a streaming only release because the Omicron variant of the coronavirus pandemic was still um, happening around that time. And then they had to pull the plug, which I'm very sad because that movie would have played like gangbusters in theaters. And instead, Pixar's first movie was Lightyear uh, back in theaters. And that movie tanked at the box office because I think it's because of the expectations of people were thinking that uh, they were probably going to wait for it to come and stream on Disney Plus. So that'll probably be like more beneficial, I want to say. It also happened with Strange World, which completely flopped. It like made less than 50 million in the US, I want to say. I, I don't know. I'll have to look at box and office numbers and stuff. There's Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which has been getting this unabashed love and support from everyone like everyone's been loving it i even called it like the biggest surprise of the year because i didn't think it looked that interesting and i thought the first post and boots movie was just okay but it exceeded expectations and i will say though it's probably my second favorite shrek film outside of the first shrek and that means a lot. I know some people will like say like the first trick, oh, it's like full of outdated like animation and pop culture references. Maybe so. But I grew up watching that movie and loving it. I laughed my butt off from beginning to end. And sure, it may be crude, 
nowadays but that's the fun of the character of shrek and and all that jazz but yeah anyway uh yeah it's good to see puss in boots the last wish there um but i don't know if it would like win i still think guillermo del toro's pinocchio is like your odds on favorite to win but puss in boots it's it's been killing it along like uh the community of like fans who have been supporting of it it's on the letterbox top 250 for crying out loud which i'm completely baffled by yeah, and then Marcel the shell with shoes on, which is so delightful. But some people were thinking, like, what is considered animation? Well, it's, like, mostly stop motion. But it's set in, like, the real world. Like, there's humans around. I heard there's, like, a percentage difference on, like, what is live action and what is animated. And then it was like, well, then why didn't they nominate the Lego movie? I think some people, I think older Academy voters at the time were thinking, it was like, it's based, on a, it's based off of a toy. And I was like uh you could have nominated the lego movie over something like the box trolls that year which is completely ridiculous so yeah anyway uh rant over on that those are my thoughts on animated feature film now let's get to the nominees for best international feature film and oh boy this is probably gonna break my heart for best international feature film the nominees are from germany all Quiet on the Western Front. From Argentina, Argentina, 1985. From Belgium, Close. From Poland, Eo. And from Ireland, The Quiet Girl. Now for the best international feature film, it used to be called best foreign language film for the longest time. It wasn't until the 2019 ceremony when Roma won uh, the Alfonso Cuaron movie, where it's mostly uh, in Spanish, but there are also a couple scenes where they use English. And some critics were pointing out, what is it even considered a, quote, foreign film anymore? And it wasn't until the following year later that the Academy has renamed it to Best International Feature Film. And then the first uh, recipient of under that new name was Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho, which I love. Now, for what I predicted, I, I had this like strong feeling that in my heart, it would be the five that I would have chosen. But I did had myself that there would be like one little outlier. And uh, the four films that did get nominated were All Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, which kind of makes sense because given that it's the most nominated of the five right there. Yeah, from Germany. Uh, Close from Belgium, which I've not seen. Um, EO from Poland, which I got to watch earlier this month. And it is a really, really good movie. Very weird and also a little bit depressing, but I thoroughly enjoyed it for what it is. And then The Quiet Girl from Ireland, which is this lovely, beautiful film about uh, uh, summertime and just like one girl's experience uh, uh, living on a farm with uh, like her mother's cousins, I want to say. Just wonderful. But the one film that ended up making the cut is Argentina 1985 from Argentina. It, it it won the Golden Globe for non-English film. Like I could have seen that coming, but there but sometimes there are movies that win the globe that just like ultimately did not get nominated. Uh, but the one film that just like crushes my soul is the film Decision to Leave from Park Chan-wook. It was submitted for South Korea. I think some people were like, uh, Parasite was good enough. Let's just leave it out in the dust. Like, are you for real? 
uh, decision to leave is perhaps, in my opinion, the most gorgeous looking mo movie of the year. It's it's probably my favorite non-English movie of the year, even though The Quiet Girl is probably ranked a little bit higher than Decision to Leave. But I will go to bat on um, Decision to Leave having probably the best direction from Park Chan-wook, probably one of the best scripts from Park Chan-wook and his co-writer, I forget his name, actress for Tong Wei, cinematography, editing, score. This just like crushes my soul. And I'm deeply disappointed that it ultimately uh, did not get nominated. And I'm just like, oh man, th this sucks. I hate for movies to be left out in the dust. I'm, I'm going to take decision. I'm going to defend decision to leave right, uh, right up to my grave. I, I will go to bat for it. But anyway, guys, let's check out the other films that were nominated in the shortlist, but ultimately uh, were not nominated. And that is Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths from Mexico. Again, like I mentioned, Inari 2's take on Eight and a Half, which I was not a huge fan of. The Blue Captain from Morocco. I don't know anything about it. Cairo Conspiracy from Sweden. Don't know anything about it. Corsage from Austria. A very bold choice, I will say. Although, uh, I mean, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it, but I don't think it's like um, Oscar-worthy, I want to say. Although I do like the costumes and I do like Vicky Crepe's performance in that. Um, yeah, Holy Spider from Denmark. I like watched the first 10 minutes of this and I'm like, I'm out. Can't deal with this. Joyland from Pakistan, which actually got banned in Pakistan because I think it has like uh it has like a queer subtext or storyline. I don't I don't know. India's submission this year was a film called Last Film Show, not RRR, which is kind of shocking, I want to say. Uh Last Film Show is basically like India's equivalent to like cinema parody, so I want to say. Uh, you have Return to Seoul from Cambodia, which I've heard really good things about. And then St. Omer from France, which I've also heard really good things about. And that movie is getting a Criterion edition uh, probably sometime soon. I don't know when, but it is coming out uh, to my local art house indie uh, theater in February. So I will probably have the chance to check it out. I will say uh, how... Uh, they nominate these movies is that a country submits one particular film to represent their country uh at the oscars so it's not like uh, like a popular based opinion or something like that that's what that's like they would like go for something that likes that is like more political or personal to them kind of like how france submitted les miserables over portrait of lady on fire for their for the 2020 ceremony which is uh baffling to say but anyway, let's check out some of the other films that were submitted, but ultimately did not make the shortcut. Uh, Alcaraz from Spain, which is a really good movie. It kind of plays out like Minari, I want to say. I know some people like uh, Girl Picture from Finland, uh, but a lot of people actually think that Hatching should have been uh, Finland's nominee. Um, what else? I've heard good things about Klondike from Ukraine. Um, Mars One from Brazil. Let's see. Um, Plan 75 from Japan. I, I know very little about it. Some people were thinking because Decision to Leave uh, was uh, uh, the Korean film that got nominated and not Broker, uh, the film that stars uh, Song Kang-ho from Parasite. Given the fact that Hirokazu Koreeda is a Japanese director, some people were thinking, oh, it's going to wind up in the, uh, the Japan. Uh, it's going to be Japan submission for that. Nope, did not happen.
what else is there? Oh, Utama from Bolivia. Oh man, that movie is about an elderly couple uh, who are like living in this like Bolivian altiplano, but their whole community is like on the verge of a drought. It is beautiful. Um, from like the first opening shot, I like knew I was like watching something and i was like completely invested in it i watched it at sundance last year it was incredible and then you won't be alone it was submitted it's it's a macedonian spoken language film but the it was submitted under australia i want to say i i know it's like this like uh this like witch fable i want to say but it has like numi rapace so yeah so yeah, anyway, those are my thoughts on international feature film. I'm still hurt by the fact that the decision to leave did not make it. But anyway, guys, let's move on to the next category, which is best adapted screenplay. The nominees for best adapted screenplay are Edward Berger, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stockel for All Quiet on the Western Front. Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Kazuo Ishiguro for Living. Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, Christopher McQuarrie, Peter Craig, and Justin Marks for Top Gun Maverick. And Sarah Pauly for Women Talking. So for the best adapted screenplay category, I once again got four out of five in my predictions. I got All Quiet on Western Front, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, living and women talking the one i did not have was top gun maverick and instead i had the whale now the whale not a good movie top gun slightly better but why does it need an adapted screenplay nomination i don't get it it, mo it mostly focuses on two things one it it borrows up it borrows a bunch of stuff from other films most importantly uh, not just the original film, but also probably in my estimation, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, where they have to like um, fire away a target. Like it's like this little small thing where they have to just like shoot over and target it and just like destroy it. It it feels like the Death Star battle sequence all over again towards the end. But then I realized when I was having a phone conversation with my brother, when he saw it for the very first time recently, I even told him uh, about that. And then I realized wait a minute, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope was also influenced by other movies, particularly movies like The Dam Busters. And, uh, and then it got me thinking, well, how many people uh, have like seen The Dam Busters uh, before, like when, when it was like influential to like Star Wars or something like that? Because I'm pretty sure everyone has seen Star Wars. Probably very few people have seen The Dam Busters. So now I kind of feel guilty about saying that out loud. But then the other thing is uh, it's being sued for copyright infringement by uh, the family members of a writer who wrote a magazine article that's uh, loosely based on the structure of the first film. So, yeah, kind of like um, kind of a little bit of karma right there. So, yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front uh, definitely got nominated based off of the novel of the same name by Eric Maria. Eric Maria Remark. Hold on. <coughs> all the other nominees they're they're pretty much fine all quiet on the western front which i've heard the 
I've heard uh, people were read the novel when they were like uh, teaching it in like high school or something like that. I've never read it. I'm pretty sure it's a very fascinating book. Some people have debated on whether Glass Onion should be in the adapted screenplay category because the original film was a what the original film was an original IP and the sequel just like they were like, why couldn't you put it in original screenplay? It's a sequel. It's based off of characters that have previously existed. It counts as an adapted screenplay. So you can all shut up about it. Living is a remake. Well, an English adaptation remake of the 1952 Japanese film Ikiru from Akira Kurosawa. And then you have uh, women talking based on the novel by Miriam Taves, which we'll talk about more about women talking uh, in just a minute. There were some notable omissions, like I mentioned, The Whale, which was not a good movie. Some people say that that had a shot to get nominated. Other people uh, were talking about that she said could possibly get nomination, but that movie just like crashed and burned uh, upon release back in November. Some people would also say Bones and All could have gotten nominated. But for my money, I would have put in something like After Yang, but because it got such a small release, I... I think people doubted it and just like didn't care about it. And also probably Pinocchio and probably Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I mean, Guillermo del Toro, that that was just a very fascinating movie because even though the Pinocchio the story of Pinocchio has been retold countless times, the Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio still seemed at least fresh and exciting to watch. And so I was a little bit bummed about that. But I'm still mostly happy with what we got for the nominations outside of Top Gun Maverick. But anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on the adapted screenplay category. And now let's move over to the nominees for the best original screenplay. The nominees for best original screenplay are Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. For Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans. Todd Field for Tar. And Ruben Uslund for Triangle of Sadness. Original screenplay is one of only two categories where I got a per- where I got all five correctly. And I don't see a single flaw in them, although I wasn't as huge of a fan of the Fablemans as much as other people, although some people will attend to agree with me that they thought the Fablemans was kind of disappointing. But I'll talk about it more a little bit in detail on what my feelings are for the Fablemans. But happy to see Triangle of Sadness and Tar, but it's really down to a two-horse race between Martin McDonough and the Daniels, uh, between Banshees and everything everywhere all at once. As terms of like notable omissions, some people think After Sun should have been nominated, Babylon for Damien Chazelle, uh, the menu just scored a, a Writers Guild nomination. I'm recording this a couple days after the Oscar nominations have been announced. So sorry if this has been uh, delaying uh, your interest in uh, me talking about uh, the nominations. I, I'm sorry I didn't get here sooner. And then also Jordan Peele's Nope also scored a WGA nomination. I think I think it's because uh, screenplays like Banshees and like After Sun and probably Tar and Triangle of Sadness were considered ineligible because they're not uh, members of the Writers Guild. I don't know. So yeah, nothing else to say about original screenplay. So now let's move into the acting categories, starting with the nominees for performance by an actress in a supporting role. The nominees for performance by an actress in a supporting role are Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. 
Hong Chow in The Whale. Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Inishirin. Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Stephanie Hsu in Everything Everywhere All at Once. All right, so the Best Supporting Actress nominees. We have, for the very first time, an actor nominated for a Marvel film, and more specifically, an MCU film, in the form of Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. She's most certainly the odds-on favorite to win at the moment, although I do have suspicion that Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Inisherin could sneak up on her. Yeah, we also get Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu, both from Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Hong Chow in The Whale, who I think is one of like the best parts of that movie. Her and Brendan Fraser, who I will talk about in a little bit. But yeah, the one um, person that I did have on my predictions, but unfortunately did not get nominated, uh, that was Dolly De Leon in Triangle of Sadness. Actually, no, I did not predict her. Uh, I think I had Jesse Buckley in Women Talking. Yeah, I thought Women Talking was probably going to have this like resurgence or something like that, but alas, it did not. Claire Foy and Women Talking could have happened as well, but also let's get back to Dolly De Leon and Triangle Status. The movie is divided into three parts. She owns part three. Like her character is just like inadequate, inadequately speaking, probably the best character out of the entire movie because everyone in that movie is just like a bunch of like rich, wealthy, despicable people. And she's the only one in my, the only character in my opinion that feels completely human and just like completely different from the rest of them. And, and if you haven't seen Triangle of Sadness, I recommend it. Uh, it but yeah, anyway, uh, there are some other notable omissions I want to say. Carrie Mulligan, as she said, like I mentioned, she said, uh, got no love uh, for the Oscars this year because it just, uh, it just flopped at the box office and it, and it got mixed to positive critical reception, but I think it's because the Harvey Weinstein scandal was just like too recent enough that everyone just like kind of ignored it and just like dismiss it as just like another Oscar bait faux pas. I don't know what I'm saying, uh, but other notable omissions. I would have liked to nominate Janelle Monet in Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, who um, <clears throat> is great. If you haven't seen it, don't worry. I won't spoil, but it's streaming on Netflix. But you get to see a side of Janelle Monet that you don't necessarily see in the acting industry. So yeah, um, I thought did I mention someone else? Uh, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy. I would also like to add Judith Ivy and Sheila McCarthy, two of the older actresses that are in Women Talking. So yeah, those are my thoughts are on a supporting actress. Now let's get to the nominees for supporting actor. The nominees for performance by an actor in a supporting role are Brendan Gleeson in The Banshees of Inisherin, Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway, Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan in The Banshees of Inisherin, and Ki Hui Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. This one, I got three out of five in supporting actor category. I now need to watch Causeway now because I heard Brian Tyree Henry got nominated. So that's a plus right there. It's also big. It's also the only uh, film that Apple uh, got an Oscar nomination for nothing else, which is kind of sad because that was the studio that had Coda last year and uh, it became the little underdog film that could. They also had Tragedy of Macbeth, but 
This year, they tried with Greatest Beer Run Ever, which is a new film from Peter Fairley. Did not work. They had the new Will Smith vehicle, Emancipation. Did not work. Causeway is the only film from Apple. So yeah, just a little tangent right there. Sorry about that. Uh, I had both the Banshees of Inisherin Boys with Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keoghan. I had Kiwi Kwan, Everything Everywhere, which this is another one of those uh, categories that's an easy lock. This is Kiwi Kwan's award to lose at the moment. Now, Judd Hirsch, he was slipping for a bit. He didn't. He only uh, got nominated at the Critics' Choice and nowhere else. And a lot of people were expecting Paul Dano to get nominated, but this this reminded me of what happened to uh, the movie Belfast last year, where in the supporting actress category, it was all about Katrina Balfe, and she was going all the way up until the Oscars, and then knock knock, the elderly person came in the form of Judy Dench and took her spot. So Paul Dano got Katrina Balfe this year. All right. Sorry, Paul Dano. I love your movie Wildlife, the movie you directed. So yeah. Yeah, there are some also notable omissions. Uh, some people were thinking Eddie Redmayne and The Good Nurse, which I felt like was kind of like a Robert Duvall and The Judge type of nomination because he got in everywhere except of uh, the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, Brad Pitt and Babylon only got a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, there was that one guy from All Quiet on the Western Front that got a BAFTA nomination, as well as Michael Ward and Empire Light, who he's not bad in. Um so yeah, nothing too much to add there. There were some also notable omissions like Mark Rylance and Bones and All could have been a nice uh, surprise, even though I haven't seen it yet. I would like to add like Justin H. Min and After Yang or Colin Farrell in The Batman. Like his performance is over the top, but in the best way possible. That's who I would have put. Maybe Woody Harrelson or Zlaco Burek in Triangle of Sadness. Um uh, who else? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I can't think of anything else at the time. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the best supporting actor nominees. I hope short round wins. Well, you know, I I know I know short round is gonna win, but I'm just telling uh, you guys who are listening uh, who don't pay to awards all that much to tell you this this is Kiwi Kwan's award to lose. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the best supporting actor nomination. Now let's move over to best actress in a leading role. And oh my goodness, this crop of nominees. The nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role are Kate Blanchett in Tar, Ana de Armas in Blonde, Andrea Riseborough in Two Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now, before I give you all my thoughts on the Best Actress nominees, let's talk about the elephant in the room for a hot minute, and that is the surprise campaign of Andrea Riseborough in the little indie film Two Leslie. I'm pretty sure everyone who's not a well-versed individual or even a film critic who mainly covers blockbusters and more high-end profile smaller releases hasn't even heard of this movie until now. Heck, I didn't even know it existed until it was named one of the top 10 independent films by the National Board of Review in December. And you're all probably asking yourselves, how did this happen? Well, this was a grassroots campaign that was organically put together entirely through word of mouth. The film is directed by Michael Morris, who's more primarily known for doing television. He is married to the actress Mary McCormick. 
The praises of the film began early on when Howard Stern was touting it on his Sirius XM show, telling people to go see it. McCormick and Stern's relationship goes back many decades, where she even played his first wife in the 1997 biopic Private Parts. Both Morris and McCormick showed Stern the film as part of their wedding anniversary celebration. And then later on down, down the road, screenings moderated by A-list celebrities began to take place, including one at Creative Arts Agency, which is an acting agency, moderated by Charlize Theron. McCormick then got to work with two big PR offices and sent emails to friends to help publicly support this movie, as well as Riseboro's performance with images, hashtags, and accounts to tag in social media posts. And pretty soon, big-name celebrities began to sing the praises of Riseboro, Riseboro's performances from everyone in the actors branch some to name a few like Sally Field, Liam Neeson, Jane Fonda, Laura Dern, Catherine Keener, Gina Davis, Mira Sorvino, Susan Sarandon, Zoe Deschanel, Melanie Linsky, Alan Cumming, Glenn Close, and so on so on. More screenings of the film were planned as well as Gwyneth Paltrow calling the film a masterpiece. Edward Norton also hosted a screening and called Riseboro a performance that knocked me off sideways. There were even virtual Q&As moderated by Kate Winslet and Amy Adams. Kate Blanchett even gave a shout-out to Riseboro's performance while accepting the award for Best Actress at the Critics' Choice Awards. I even read something in order for her for Riseboro to be nominated. She would have to garner at least more than 200 first-place votes in order for her to earn a nomination. And she ended up earning that nomination through the help of fellow actors in the industry. This surprise and very shocking nomination definitely changes everything now. And Oscar campaigning will never be the same as it once was. And it's all because of a little indie movie that was made by a fellow working in the film industry. And to be completely honest, I thought it was a complete long shot. I thought it was never going to happen. But lo and behold, to my surprise, it did and now it makes me want to go and check out the movie as is for everyone else who's never even heard of it until now i'll probably watch it leading up to this year's ceremony but anyway guys let now let's get back into gear and talk about the rest of the best actress nominees so yeah that andrea riseborough nomination definitely shocked everyone by surprise the rest of the nominations i got three out of five in that category i got kate blanchett in tar michelle williams and fablemans and michelle yo and everything everywhere all at once but anna de armas in blonde no thank you that movie is just insufferable to watch it it made me angry it and it's sad that it just like depicts marilyn monroe as this like uh sweet and innocent and young woman who is just being treated by it by a uh, horrible human beings in the 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 realm of Hollywood and yeah I it was just unbearable to watch I'll I'll give it that but yet some people love the film that much that she earned a nomination so I don't buy that for a second uh, the, Michelle Williams I think she, if she should have been nominated in supporting actress I think she would have easily take uh that category but they were camp but uh universal was campaigning her to put her in lead and her role i will say is okay the character i don't 100 percent buy because she's just this um troubled human being who's a little bit mentally ill i will say a little bit loveless i don't, I, I don't know i haven't seen the fableman since i saw it uh in theaters all the way back in november and i'm there, there's probably some sorry in december rather and there's probably something that i'm missing that i'm just not that is just not clicking for me 
but it's really down to a two horse race between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh um, for uh, the best actress Oscar. There are some big notable omissions, particularly one of Danielle Deadweiler in Till, who just is just a powerhouse. She 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 just like forces her face and stuff. That courtroom scene, if you've seen Till and you see that courtroom scene uh, towards the end of the movie and you see like her eyes twitching and everything and she's like crying and just like, oh, man, that is just good acting right there just like using your face um uh to to like such a level of degree that you can't even imagine and then another big notable omission is viola davis in the woman king the woman king didn't get any nominations whatsoever which i'm completely baffled by but yeah no black women in uh the best actress category which is a shame um but uh there, there were also some notable omissions, particularly Margot Robbie and Babylon could have had a shot. Emma Thompson and good luck to you, Leo Grand. Um, uh, who else? There, there's some other ones, but I'm probably blanking on. But uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of this Best Actress lineup. Just take, uh, well, I can't comment on the Andrea Riseborough performance because I haven't watched it yet. But uh, I take both Ana de Armas and Michelle Williams out and put in both Danielle Deadweiler and Viola Davis in. And uh, so, yeah. Oh, another omission. I thought Olivia Coleman's performance in Empire Light was pretty, really, really good, even though the movie itself was just a mixed bag overall for me. So, yeah. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Best Actress. And now let's get to the nominees for Best Actor in a Leading Role. The nominees for performance by an actor in a leading role are Austin Butler in Elvis, Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inishirin, Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Paul Meskel in After Sun, and Bill Nye in Living. So the best actor in a leading role category is the only other category that I got a perfect five for five in, and they're all made up of first-time nominees. You would think that people like Colin Farrell and Bill Nye may have been previously nominated, but no, this is their first time being nominated in this category. So yeah, and like I said, this is all a crop of first-time nominees. The last time you would have an acting category that was made up of first-time nominees, you have to go back to uh, the 2000s ceremony for films released in 1999 in the supporting actress category uh, where Angelina Jolie won for Girl Interrupted. And then you had people like uh, Chloe Sevigny and Samantha Morton. And there's a couple other people, but I'm not going to name them all here. Uh, But yeah, and... And uh, for the best actor category, if for made up of first time nominees that was done previously, you would have to go all the way back to uh, the 1935 ceremony when Clark Gable won for uh, It Happened One Night, which is a really good movie. And uh, I think it was only like three nominees that year. I could be wrong. There is like a three horse race at the moment on who could win uh, best actor. A lot of people are pointing to Brendan Fraser in The Whale, who does a pretty good performance in an otherwise uh, uh, very sad and depressing movie about this reclusive, obese man who just like wants to like reconnect with his estranged daughter one last time before uh, he's on like uh, his last days, I want to say. But yeah, that that is kind of like your favorite, although 
He was beat out by both Austin Butler and Colin Farrell at the Golden Globes. Well, Austin Butler specifically, because Brendan Fraser was nominated in, in the drama category, but he had a very bad history uh, with a former president of the HF of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, where uh, during the Me Too uh, movement, he uh, was interviewed that uh, he... Uh, uh, that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association pre president, then president at the time, groped Brendan Fraser and uh, accused, and uh, Brendan Fraser has accused him of that person. And uh, he, and since, has decided not to uh, go to the Golden Globes at all. I think he made the right choice, um, even though that may have uh, uh, blown his opportunity of getting an early lead into like what uh, his award chances would be. Yeah. So yeah, it's a three-way uh, horse at the moment between Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, and Brendan Fraser on who's going to win Best Actor. We still have the Screen Actors Guild coming up. We still have the Baptist coming up, and uh, soon later we'll we will have the Oscars. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy to see Paul Mescal get in for After Sun. That is a movie where I appreciate it, but I don't get to see like people who like love it. Like it's a movie about like memory and just like. Uh, going on vacation it, it's about this uh father daughter uh bonding vacation trip in turkey and uh it, it's not until like uh you find out that oh this is uh all coming from uh the older version of uh the do the daughter and is just like reliving those memories but you're trying to like figure out like it's a very subtle movie i will say but i won't go into full detail but yeah, once again, I admire After Sun, but I just don't love it like everyone else do. And Bill Nye in Living. Living is a very nice little movie. I think I may have said about it before when I uh, uh, first watched it at the Sundance Film Festival. But it's a remake of the 1952 Akira Kurosawa film Ikiru, which means to live. And uh, it's and Bill Nye is incredible in that. It also has a good score. It's wonderfully shot, good production design. It's expanding nationwide sometime pre pretty soon. So check out Living if you haven't. Uh, as for omissions, some people would say um, it it was all it was all boiled down to like the fifth slot. Had it not been for Paul Mescal, we would not have uh, uh, an all an all like first time nominees lineup. If, if Tom Cruise made it in for Top Gun Maverick, but he did not make it. Uh, another interesting uh, omission to note is that Adam Sandler has been uh, Adam Sandler in the movie Hustle. He's promoting uh, his presence and uh, doing the campaign tours. He was on Variety Actors on Actors with Brendan Fraser. He did the LA Times roundtable. He did the Hollywood Reporter roundtable. He's been uh, promoting with the PR and everything and going to all these events like he enjoys uh, doing things like that and he got a surprise SAG nomination mainly because Hustle was the very first movie that uh, got sent out screeners to all the film critics and the guild members and everything so yeah and a lot of people were thinking it, it may be a surprise nomination but did not happen uh, Jeremy Pope and the Inspection was another one Diego Calva and Babylon maybe Daniel Craig and Glass Onion um, yeah uh, I keep forgetting who got nominated for BAFTA. Oh, Daryl McCormick in uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Uh, Harris Dickinson in Triangle of Sadness was also shortlisted. Uh, but yeah, un again, once again, it's down to a three-horse race between Austin Butler, Colin Farrell, and Brendan Fraser. Austin Butler, 
he 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 does play a good Elvis, I will say. But the movie overall, it's just a mixed bag for me. So yeah. So those are my thoughts on best lead actor. Only two more categories left to tell you about. And the first is best achievement in directing. For best achievement in directing, the nominees are Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Uslund for Triangle of Sadness. So the best director category is another case where I also got four out of five. I originally predicted Edward Berger to get in for All Quiet on the Western Front, but instead we got Ruben Usland for Triangle of Sadness, who pulled a Paul Thomas Anderson Phantom Thread level type of nomination right here. Didn't not get nominated anywhere else uh, in terms of the major industry awards. It just like happened at random, I want to say. I don't know. I don't know how the... Uh, Oscar system works. Usually they would like have like one, like one you don't see coming from like a mile away. And then one like international director. And they've been doing that for the, for the past uh, like few years. I want to say like, remember when Pavel Pavlikovsky got in for cold war and then we got Bong Joon-ho who won. And then we got Thomas Vinterberg for another round. And then last year we got Ryusuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. And now we have Ruben Usland for Triangle of Sadness. So I'm very happy to see Ruben Usland get in. And uh, the rest I was expecting. The Daniels, uh, Martin McDonough, Todd Field, and Steven Spielberg. On who's going to win, it's kind of a race between Spielberg and the Daniels at the moment. Because Spielberg, he won at the Golden Globes, but did not make the BAFTA long list. And he was... uh, uh, left out of that and then the daniel surprisingly won at the critics choice but we'll see uh where uh it will go between the dga and the bafta and it will ultimately lead to the oscars as for who uh was omitted a lot of people are saying ss roger Mooley for rrr james cameron for avatar the way of water uh baz Luhrmann for elvis some people would like to say charlotte wells for after sun gina prince bythewood for the woman king sarah Pauly and women talking that one kind of hurts me i will say there's no women in this category but someday we will have uh a year where we will have like more women filmmakers i mean the 2020-2021 Oscar season, we had both Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell, which was a plus, I will say. But hopefully one day, one day, we will get there, people. I promise you. So, yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who else. Uh, Damien Chazelle for Babylon did not get in. Park Chan-wook for Decision to Leave didn't get in. Um, yeah. I'm so surprised to say. So yeah, those are my thoughts on best director. And now the category you have all been waiting for the nominees for best motion picture of the year. And finally, I am pleased to announce that the 10 films selected as the best picture nominees for the year 2022 are all quiet on the Western front. Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking.
So for the past four years, I have seen every single Best Picture nominee before the nominations were announced. And this year, I'm happy to report that I've done it again. The only time that did not happen was last year when Drive My Car got nominated. And because it wasn't playing anywhere at the time. And so I had to wait patiently. And I couldn't see it on the big screen because it was only like at like nine o'clock showings or something like that. And because I had work and other like commitments to to do that i did not see it i i watched triangle i watched drive my car uh like like a couple weeks after the oscar ceremony has passed and uh it was available on digital and it was like okay i got some time to check it out and so i rented it and all that stuff but anyway guys i am very happy to report to you that i got nine of the ten Best Picture nominees correctly. It's the second year in a row where that happened to me. Uh, the last time, well, last year in general, I predicted Tick, Tick, Boom, but it ended up going to Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. And for this year, I ended up choosing The Whale because it got a Producers Guild nomination for Best Picture, but it ended up going to Triangle of Sadness, which I'm very happy to see, although it didn't get a Supporting Actress nomination for Dolly de Leon, which I'm completely... Um, flabbergasted by because I think Dolly De Leon is perhaps the best part. Uh, well, gave the best performance out of the entire ensemble cast in that movie. But yeah, it's this wonderful satirical take on wealth and class and social class, I will say. And uh, it's kind of like in the vein of like a Luis Bunuel movie. So yeah, bravo to Ruben Usland and his team for uh, making this possible, I will say. And it's getting a Criterion release in April. But I do suggest you uh, find a movie theater that's showing Triangle of Sadness because it because since it is now a Best Picture nominee, it's probably going to be re-released in theaters. I hope you see it with a big crowd, and I hope they provide barf bags as well because there there could be some because the movie does involve uh, vomiting in the movie, and there could be some people who can just be like very squeamish or something like that. But but I will say this to you, I had a baller of a time watching triangle of sadness i was laughing my butt off although my parents uh they got it on digital they couldn't even make it past uh uh the vomiting scene they're just like no you're you're just like missing the best part you're not even like halfway through the movie and yeah i gotta reconvince my parents to like i should have watched it with them just to like be like in the um uh, the weirdness of it all and all that stuff but yeah anyway i'm talking about triangle of sadness too much but let's talk about the other nominees uh i uh predicted that there were six movies that were guaranteed locks and they were banshees of Sharon, the fablemans elvis everything everywhere all at once tar and top gun maverick they all got in what also got in was all quiet on the western front uh, which which I failed to mention, uh, this is the German adaptation. It is a remake of a Best Picture winner. Recently, we've been having uh, this trend of like uh, movies that were uh, previously adapted into like Best Picture winner slash nominees, and then the remakes get nominated. Like we had that last year with West Side Story. We had that with Little Women recently. Uh, I can't remember what else, but yeah, this is a very interesting trend we're seeing nowadays uh but yeah all quiet on the western front is uh uh it, it is based on the book of the same name uh it's it's an anti-war movie however they it's not uh what i've heard is not a hundred percent faithful to the book but uh because they add like uh 
this like a uh, political like uh, backdrop and and like creating the armistice and everything. So yeah, but it's still a it it it's a beautiful movie, although violent, very violent, I will say. Um, but it's it yeah, it's a really really good movie. Yeah, I'm trying to be professional, but I'm not <laughs> at it at all. So I hope you all forgive me. Um, but yeah, uh, Avatar: The Way of Water. I will say though, uh, the original uh, was at one point was probably going to win, but it ended up losing to The Hurt Locker, which was directed by J- James Cameron's ex-wife Catherine Bigelow. Uh, but for Avatar: The Way of Water. I like it slightly better than the first Avatar, although uh, it plays out like the same as the first Avatar, although it has less problematic themes, I will say. I do need to watch it again, and I do need to give you guys a review for that. I know you guys have been patiently waiting, but that that um, review alone will take like more than an hour. In fact, In fact, this episode has been going on for over an hour, probably an hour and a half by the time you're listening to this. So yeah, and uh, Banshees of Inisherin, I need to watch again. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it, but it's like, but because of like the dark com- comedic subject matter, where it feels like a little bit moody and grim, it it kind of like threw me off for a little bit. But it got me thinking about it, and my parents also saw it with me, and they also thought about it uh, over time as well. Like they still kept thinking about it. So yeah uh elvis can go away i'm sorry i i'm not a big fan of the musical biopic because we're just seeing like all these familiar tropes where they just like uh like uh you have like flashbacks from them when they're at like an early age and then they rise to the top and then they fall into like drugs and hardships and everything is like oh like i've seen it done a million times before like and even Bohemian Rhapsody, which I love listening to Queen's music, but that movie is just inaccurate. I'm sorry. So yeah, yeah. If you want to know a little thing about me, I am not a fan of the musical biopic. Although I did like Rocket Man because even with all the biopic tropes aside, it actually works as like a jukebox musical. So yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. It it's kind of weird because. It's one of those uh, movies where it it doesn't like fit like the standard of like what an Academy like Best Picture nominee is. It's it's just so random and out of the blue. Uh, but it could be your possible front runner now because it's so unconventional in all the best possible ways. And I would like to see everything everywhere all at once get nominated for uh, or sorry not get nominated at for, for it to win best picture it could be our first movie from uh a movie that premiered at south by southwest to probably win best picture we've seen this recent trends of movies that premiere at a festival that would later go on to win best picture like moonlight uh premiered at telluride that went on to win we had movies like shape of water and nomadland that uh premiered at venice they went on to win uh best picture we had uh, Parasite won the Palm Door at Cannes when it released, went on to win Best Picture, and then Coda won the Sundance Jury Prize. What and it later went on to win Best Picture. So anything is possible nowadays. Uh, so I could definitely see everything, everywhere, all at once um, become your your probable your your possible Best Picture winner. What was at one point the front runner 
was Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. That feels kind of like this year's Belfast, where it feels like one of those like self-indulgent um, uh, movies about like coming of age, like finding your youth, and just like semi-autobiographical take on like uh, your past life. I will say, The Fablemans. It uh, whenever it's about. Uh, the character of Sammy Fableman watching movies or making movies, all that stuff is great. It's just the family dynamic stuff. I don't buy a hundred percent. Like it just feels so schmaltzy and like ooey gooey, sugary, sentimental weepiness and all that stuff. And just like, it does have a great ending. I will say that. And it does have a nice cameo uh, from David Lynch. I won't say who he plays, but uh, it, it was a fun. And then, happy to see tar it was my favorite film of last year i just love everything about it from kate blanche's performance to the master direction and screenplay from todd field the the sound uh sorry the sound design the cinematography the editing one of the best editing movies of the year there's a couple scenes early on in the movie where i could just like I call it like, that's my favorite scene of the year. And it's like, that's another favorite scene of mine uh, from the year. So yeah, I love seeing Tar. Top Gun Maverick, it, the one movie that helped saved movie theaters from going into complete chaos. Everyone went and saw it like five times because they love to watch action movies. Tom Cruise saved the day. Jerry Bruckheimer is now an Oscar nominee before he turns 80 this year. Yeah, congrats to you, Jerry Bruckheimer. And thank you to Tom Cruise for help saving movie theaters as we know it. It was like one of the last films uh, uh, to be released like post-pandemic. It was supposed to come out in like May of 2020, but it kept getting delayed. And uh, they were like, why don't we just like stream it on Paramount Plus? And Tom Cruise was like, no, we have to make sure this gets a proper theatrical release. And lo and behold, it did. And it succeeded on so many levels. It became the highest grossing movie of Tom Cruise's career made about a billion and a half dollars worldwide. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick and movies like Top Gun Maverick and Avatar, the way of water is what like helps boost uh, ratings for the Oscar telecasts because they want to nominate like the popular movies and all that stuff. I already mentioned triangle of sadness and then women talking, which I'm happy to see get nominated because I thought it was going to get completely shut out, but it did not. It only garnered two nominations, Best Picture and Adapted Screenplay. The last time I can think of a movie that only got two nominations and got a Best Picture, um, uh, get into the Best Picture race was the Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man, where it got picture and an original screenplay nomination. And Women Talking did the exact same thing. But I encourage you all to check out Women Talking. It has a great ensemble, mostly uh, made up of women. And like the movie says, it's about women talking um, because it's about a group of Mennonite women on trying to figure out whether or not they want to leave the community because uh, they have been abused by the men in the community. And they, they're they given at least a couple days to figure out what they can do, whether they can fight, stay, or leave in that regard. And it, it kind of plays out like uh, kind of like 12 Angry Men because they mostly talk around uh, in the barn for like meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, Ben Wishaw here who's like counting the minutes and everything. And so, yeah, check out Women Talking if you haven't already. So, yeah. So those are my thoughts on the Best Picture nominees. 
so the last thing I'm going to do is to give you all a full tally and some little uh, stats, if you want to call it that. And, uh, and then afterwards, we'll probably end this episode. Leading off the nominations for the 95th Academy Awards is the film Everything Everywhere All at Once, scoring 11 nominations. And that mostly helped because of the two Best Supporting Actress nominations, as well as the surprise costume design, original score, and original song nominations as well. Unless there is like a tie where both the supporting actresses share the award there's no way that everything everywhere all at once is going to sweep and tie with the most wins that is uh previously set by uh lord of the rings return of the king titanic and ben-hur i don't think that's going to happen at all coming in second place each with nine nominations apiece is the german adaptation of all quiet on the western front and the banshees of inishirin Elvis has eight nominations. The Fablemans has seven. Tar and Top Gun Maverick, Top Gun Maverick each scored six nominations. Black Panther Wakanda Forever scored five nominations, even though it did not get a Best Picture nomination. We have Avatar The Way of Water with four. Batman, Babylon, Triangle of Sadness, and The Whale each with three apiece. And Living and Women Talking with two nominations apiece. Some interesting little tidbits. Uh, 12 of the uh, 20 acting nominations are non-American, as well as 16 of the nominations are all first-time nominees, which is completely shocking. Michelle Yeoh becomes the first Asian woman to be nominated in the Best Actress in a Leading Role category, although there are some reports saying that Merle Oberon is the actual first Asian actress to be nominated, but we'll see if those reports are true. Um, Judd Hirsch, nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his role in The Fablements, became the first actor to receive two nominations over four decades apart, with his first uh, nomination all the way back in 1982, uh, 1981 rather, where he was nominated for Ordinary People in that category. Um, so yeah, uh, I mentioned Angela Bassett is the first actress to be nominated for uh, um an acting nomination that is from a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. All Quiet on the Western Front is the 15th best international feature film nominee to also be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, a bunch of interesting categories. Oh yeah, John Williams. He has become the oldest competitive nominee in Oscar history. Like I just mentioned, he just dethroned Agnes Vardas' record. He and uh, with this being his 53rd nomination, he also broke his own record as the most nominated living individual and the second most nominated person behind Walt Disney, who has 59 nominations. I don't think John Williams is going to get there, but I mean, you never know, but we'll see. So, yeah. And I mentioned all five actors were all first time nominees. Uh, it's the first time in over uh, 80 in, in almost 90 years, actually, uh, where it was all where the actor lineup was made up of all the first time nominees. But it's the first since uh, the 2000 ceremony when um, the best supporting actress lineup was all made up of first time nominees. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much all I can say right now. Tune in on Sunday, March 12th. Uh, it'll be 
at the Dolby Theater in LA, but it'll be airing on ABC. If you live in the United States, check with your local network provider to see where it is showing uh, on your television. If you live outside of the US, just find out uh, everything about you need to know about this year's Oscars. I'll be celebrating. I'll probably have like, I I don't know what I'll do, to be honest. I'll probably dress up, maybe, I don't know. I like most of the nominations that I will say. I although I'm not the biggest fan of Elvis or Blonde or uh, Top Gun getting screenplay, but that's just me personally because everyone is subjective to their own opinions in film, and that is 100% true. But to let you all know, I am right. Even though Turning Red is still a Best Picture nominee in my heart. It's only for those who can dream in that regard. If I were the Academy, these would be my 10 films nominated for Best Picture. It would be Banshees of Inishirin, Decision to Leave, EO, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, Turning Red, and Women Talking. But yeah, it again, it's only one who can dream in that regard. So yeah. If you guys made it all the way this far into this episode, I congratulate you all and thank you all so much for staying with me through all this. So I'm now going to end this episode and probably get some shut eye now. Thanks, guys. Well, guys, that's going to do it for Film Etc.'s coverage of the 2023 Oscar nominations. But what did you guys think of the nominations? Did some of your favorite films uh, make the final cut? Or was there, like, some big, like, uh, thing where it just, like, got completely shut out and you're just, like, going, like, why did they not nominate this thing and that thing? But anyway, guys, hit me up. I'm on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RealMikeWeb and on Hive at MikeWeb. You can also follow the show on Instagram at film etc cast make sure you subscribe and follow the show on the many places that it streams including spotify apple podcast google podcast you name it leave a good rating leave a five-star review on the apple podcast page that'll help get the show up to the top of the charts tell your friends spread the word of mouth share the show if you must i'll be back soon with more movie reviews but until then stay safe thanks for listening and until next time i will see you all at the cinema